This is Pastor Bill Woods up here in Sun Valley, Arizona, and I wanted to talk to you today about what I think we all ought to be aware of, and that would be the family feud in the Mideast. Since 9-11-2001, we are aware of an endless number of fanatical Islamic fascist, uh, fascist groups that hate us for two things, our citizenship as Americans and our citizenship in heaven. Paul Marshall at the Center for Religious Freedom in Washington, D.C. said there's a hate list. First on the list is Israel. The official name of Al-Qaeda is the World Islamic Front for Holy War Against Jews and Crusaders. During the Middle Ages, terrible atrocities were committed in the Mideast in the name of Jesus Christ. The perpetrators called themselves Crusaders. The Islamic mind has associated Christianity with medieval crusaders. Second on the hate list is the United States, hated because we support Israel. We're seen as Israel's bodyguard. To understand what's happening in the Middle East, we must know what caused the problem. The problem with all Middle East peacemaking is it doesn't address the real issue. Back when John Kerry was Secretary of State, he tried but didn't solve the problem. Hillary Clinton couldn't solve the problem. Obama didn't have a handle on the problem either. Even President Donald Trump didn't succeed, although he came closer than any of them. President Biden won't succeed. He might not even be aware of the problem. The hatred between Mideastern nations and Israel predates this current crisis by about 4,000 years. It even predates the beginning of Islam. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where it says, When God told Abraham, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was saying, I've decided to choose you, and you're going to become a blessing to the rest of the world. Subsequently, the world would be blessed through Jesus Christ, who would come through the nation of Israel. God also told Abraham, I'm going to give you some real estate. The real estate was the land of Canaan. Today we call it Israel. He said, I'm going to give you an heir whose family will become a great nation. Abraham understood that God was saying, I'm going to give you a son. We know Sarah was beyond childbearing years, but still God said, I'm going to give you a son. Because the promise wasn't fulfilled immediately, Sarah and Abraham got impatient. Sarah told Abraham to take her servant Hagar and father a child. Abraham said, well, that sounds like God's will to me. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, that'll be okay. Abraham committed adultery with Hagar. She conceived and bore him a son that they named Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of all non-Jewish Arab nations. Later, as God had promised, Sarah got pregnant and bore Abraham a son and named him Isaac. Now we really have a problem, a firstborn son and a son of promise. The people of Israel are descendants of Isaac, the son of Sarah. The people from the Mideastern nations are descendants of Ishmael, the son of Hagar. 
Imagine the competition, the rivalry, the stress in Abraham's home. And you know, it still exists today. The problem in the Mideast isn't who shot who first or who kidnapped, kidnapped whose soldier or who has shot missiles or who won't give up property rights. The problem is a theological issue. The descendants of Ishmael believe the descendants of Isaac stole their birthright. And so it goes, back and forth, just like a couple kids tattling to their mother. Johnny took my toy. Make him stop. Johnny would defend himself, say, oh, it's my toy. I had it first. Well, the question boils down to who does it belong to? Islam hasn't always been around. It hasn't always been a Muslim-Jewish problem. Before Islam... A few Arab nations were Christianized, but most were idolatrous or paganistic. In the 7th century, Muhammad established the Islamic faith. What are the basic beliefs of the Islamic faith? Well, first, Islam does acknowledge Jesus, Moses, David, and thinks they're prophets, but they believe Muhammad is the latest and greatest prophet of God. They believe the Septuagint, the Torah, Psalms, and the four Gospels are to be revered as sacred writings, but they believe that the Quran is the absolute and final word of God because it was revealed to the latest and greatest prophet Muhammad through the angel Gabriel. The Islamic faith has no place for the concept of a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they just don't see that. The Islamic faith, faith recognizes one supreme being, Allah. Islam believes in the last days a Shiite Islamic Savior will come to rescue all true Muslim believers. You know, this closely parallels the Christian belief in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some observers suggest Iran's prime minister, a fanatical Shiite believer, is poised to lead the world into World War III in hopes of speeding up the coming of their Messiah. I hear people say, well, you know, we all worship the same God. We just call him by different names. No, you're wrong. There's a, a Chrislam movement, a movement trying to unite Christianity and Islam, that's sweeping the O-line liberal churches like the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Lutherans, some Catholic churches, the Pope's part of it, and lots of community churches. They promote the idea of marrying Christianity and Islam together since they were all worshiping the same God and trying to get to the same destination, heaven. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Some well-meaning but dumb, biblically illiterate people are trying to put everyone on the same page by saying we're all heading toward the same destination, just taking different roads. Islam doesn't teach that, neither does the Bible. We don't worship Islam's God, Allah, and they don't worship our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is a triune God who has a son named Jesus and is present in our world and lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the theological issue, and it leads me to the geographical issue. Islam claims ownership of all that small strip of land known as Israel. 
Right now, part of Israel has been portioned off and designated for Palestinian occupation. The Gaza Strip, governed by Hamas, a militant Palestinian fundamentalist Islamic organization, which came into power in 2006. That'll never satisfy the Islamic quest to conquer it all. God gave every bit of the land to Abraham. God gave that land and more to Israel as a gift. Israel didn't just come through one day and say, hmm, this looks like a good place. Let's just take this away from whoever owns it. God said, this is your land. I'm giving you this land. If Israel's at the heart of the matter, then Jerusalem is the heart of the heart of the matter. Second Chronicles 6, 5 and 6 says, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of the land of Egypt, I have not chosen a city to build a temple in among any of the tribes of Israel, so that my name would be there. And I have not chosen a man to be ruler over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem so that my name will be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Jerusalem wasn't always God's city. King David established and named it in 1004 B.C. Through the centuries, it's been overrun or destroyed 38 times. In A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus ran roughshod over Jerusalem and burned it to the ground and destroyed the temple. It lay in ruins until A.D. 313 when Constantine legalized Christianity and encouraged Christians to build churches in and around Jerusalem. In A.D. 638, General Omar, the successor of Muhammad, led the Muslim army and captured Jerusalem and declared it an Islamic holy site. The Dome of the Rock Mosque was built on the Temple Mount. In 1948, Israel was recognized as a nation. Since then, the objective of every radical Islamic fanatic has been to rid the world of all Jewish life and take every square inch of land for Islam. The United States must stand with Israel. We mustn't waver in our support. Why is it so important to stand with Israel? Well, selfishly, we need a foothold in the Mideast where we could build a base if need be. Also, God said, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. For that reason, we must back Israel. We must stand with them in terms of their right to exist and their right to own their land. Obama has Muslim roots and didn't stand with Israel while he was president. In fact, he has betrayed Israel. Trump stood with them. Biden has not stood with Israel. He even seems hostile towards that idea. Well, how should we respond to Muslims? Do we see them as enemies? Do we hate them? Do we want to exterminate them from the face of the earth? Well, heaven forbid. People of the Islamic faith are just like you and me. They need a savior. God said, whosoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 <clears throat> Jesus came to die for all people, for Jews and Gentiles alike. When he died for Gentiles, he died for you and me and every Islamic person. We need to pray for them and try to evangelize them. Since the Mideast is such a cauldron, 
What should we do about the crises in Syria, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, and all the other Arab nations trying to annihilate Israel? When John Kerry was Secretary of the State, he ran back and forth meeting with Congress and with the people of the Syrian of Syrian President Bashar, Bashar al-Assad because he thought he could defuse the situation. Obama wanted to lob missiles into Syria to teach them a lesson. Our Congress has tried to decide if Obama should and, and to what extent. Hillary thought it was a good idea. The truth is none of these negotiators knew what uh, they were doing and none of them had an answer to lasting peace. The world is watching to see what's going to happen. Iran is lobbing hundreds of rockets out of Syria into Israel on a daily basis. And to make matters worse, President Biden has lifted the sanctions on Iran's nuclear program and released $29 billion to them to use and develop their weapons. They want to destroy Israel and the United States. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Russia is ready to pounce on Ukraine with the army of 130,000 soldiers. China is starting to rattle their sabers. And Jesus said in the last days there will be wars and rumors of wars. This Israeli-Arab conflict is a 4,000-year-old-plus long family feud fueled by hatred and will play a key role in the final curtain of history. The Arab nations won't be happy until all the Jews are dead and they own all the land. But Israel isn't planning to cooperate with that scenario and God won't let it happen either. Israel is rapidly making plans to rebuild their third temple, which is prophesied to be part of the tribulation period, and they want to build it on Temple Mount where the Muslim's Dome of the Rock is situated, which creates a very interesting problem. I can't verify this, but I read that the Jews have built an exact model of the temple at the base of Mount Temple Mount to train priests in the ritual of sacrifices. They have uh, a red heifer which must be sacrificed to purify everything before they can build the temple. That was prophesied too. They already have a high priest. I read that they've collected all the building materials needed to construct the temple, and they have all the furnishings. All these things are going to play a key role in the tribulation. Three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, Antichrist will enter the temple, the Jewish temple, and declare himself to be God. Jews will reject him, and then the heavy persecution will really begin. The mark of the beast will be enforced. Those who refuse the mark won't be able to buy or sell, and if they are caught, they'll be arrested and beheaded. Revelation chapter 13, 16 through 18 says he causes all, both and small, rich and, uh, and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man and his number is 666. 
Now, I've heard uh, somebody who was supposed to be a theologian say, well, you know, he, he wasn't worried if that had to have a mark to buy or sell. He would be the first in line to get that mark. But he didn't read Revelation chapter 14, 9 and 10 that says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships a beast in its image and receives its mark on his forehead, or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Well, how will Antichrist keep track of all who could buy or sell? Well, information is being gathered now, today, through the IRS, through bank cards, through grocery cards, through Verizon and Google and Sprint and Facebook and the Internet and on and on. All of these things are collecting information. And Obamacare, uh, it's now called the Affordable Care Act, has been gathering and controlling all this data too. Millions of cameras are regarding your every move. There's no privacy. Satellites are monitoring you. They are so sensitive that they can read a date on a dime from 200 miles up. I understand that they are heat sensitive, and so if somebody tries to hide, they still can pick out the, the body heat, and they know where the person is. I guess it comes down to you can run, but you can't hide. We are seeing a glimpse of how the mark of the beast will be enforced and what is happening with the truckers in Canada right now. The Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has frozen their bank accounts, canceled their insurance policies, canceled their driver's license. This is exactly how Antichrist will enforce the mark of the beast. People will not be able to buy or sell, which means they'll probably starve because they can't get any food. It'll undoubtedly not be too long before all of this is that's going on in Canada will be wrapped up, ramped up in the United States. Uh, you're going to say, well, you're scaring us. You're bothering us. You shouldn't talk like that. There's no reason to be frightened if you've accepted Jesus Christ and have a right relationship with him. Actually, this is the time when Christians ought to rejoice because Jesus is coming soon to take us home to be with him for all eternity. And, and you know, I, I think that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're, you're playing a very dangerous game. You need to accept Christ while you still have time and make your heart ready so that you can go to be with him for all eternity. Let me ask you the question. Are you ready to meet our Lord? Or are you going to face the uh, Antichrist and all the horrible things that are coming? I can't even begin to explain how horrible all that will be. And I know this. I don't want to be here during that time. I know that according to the way I interpret Scripture, Jesus Christ is going to take his bride, which is the church, which is you and me, if you know him, He's going to take us away from here before all these things really transpire. I believe Christians might hit some hard places, and I believe they are over in the Mideast right now. But I also believe that Jesus Christ is going to come and take us 
to be with him for all eternity. And so I want to be living in a right relationship with him, know him as my personal savior and walk faithfully day by day so I can glorify him. Don't you? Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, we know the days are very critical. We know, Lord, that things are happening that tell us that uh, your coming is right around the corner. We, we don't know when it's going to be, but we do know we can understand the season. We know that, Lord, just like a, a lady going to have a baby doesn't know the exact date the baby will be born, but she can feel the birth pangs happening and know it's going to be soon. And, Father, we see the pangs happening around the world today and know that Jesus Christ is going to come soon. Please help us, Lord, to be ready when you come. And please, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to spread the word so that other people will accept you as their Savior and be ready too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen. I appreciate your listening to this. If you want to check out my website, which now has about 78 of my sermons on it, it would be uh, lowercase Church of the Galilean. It's uh, C-H-U-R-C-H-O-F-T-H-E-G-A-L-I-L-E-A-N.com. That's all lowercase. Also, you can get a hold of me if you wanted to Write to me at Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. Or I do have a an account, email account, lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. God bless you. I'm praying for you. And I hope that you will take my advice and get your heart ready to accept, to, to greet Jesus Christ when he comes to take his church home.